Thank you so much for tuning into the Chronic Illness Support Podcast. Today, our guests are Sean and Jess from the Chronic Sisters Podcast. They will be talking about their journeys with chronic illnesses. An article published by Preventive Medicine Reports in 2018 estimated that one in three of all adults suffer from multiple chronic conditions. Thank you so much for joining me today, Sean and Jess. Can you tell us a little bit about yourselves? Thanks so much for having us on your podcast, Samantha. We're very excited to be here. Um, A little bit about me. I am 28. I am a nurse. I live in Western Australia with Sister Sean. That's me. Um, We are both nurses and that's how we met. I... A little bit about me and my chronic illness journey. I have endometriosis stage four, which is on my kidney, not kidneys, bladder and bowel. Um, And I also in November of last year in 2021 was diagnosed with SLE, lupus. Um, So that is a bit about me. And Sean and I are very excited to be here. Sean, tell us a little bit about you and your background. Um, So yeah, my name's Sean. I'm the other the co-host of uh, the Chronic Sisters podcast. My conditions are linked to a rare genetic disorder called Marfan syndrome. And so basically I've been ill for the majority of my life. Um, and because Marfan is a genetic um, disease or disorder, it affects me on a cellular level. So anything that is made up of connective tissue, so that's bones, tendons, muscles, um, is affected by Marfan. And so I've been in and out of hospital um, from that. So I've got scoliosis, which I've had um, two uh, metal rods uh, infused (laughs) or inserted into my spine to straighten it. Um, I've also got a mechanical heart valve in my aortic valve and my aortic root replaced Um, and then from that I've also had a unfortunate stroke um, an ischemic stroke so a clot went to my brain um, which I'm very fortunate to have come out the other side of relatively um, symptom free I've also recently had a hip replacement because uh, my hip sockets and the balls of my femur are um, deformed from Marfan um, and so yeah I um, have hypermobility so I've struggled with um, muscle tone and um, joint weakness throughout my life um, and that's kind of why I became a nurse so I um, am 30 years old um, and I also live in Western Australia in Perth um, but I was born in England so I moved over here when I was 18 years old um, and yeah so that's kind of my little nutshell of my life um, with my conditions. I'm so sorry to hear about what you both have been through and think it's great that you have been able to use what you've been through to help other people. What made you decide to create and host the Chronic Sisters podcast? So we decided to create this project probably a little, it would have been maybe 14, 15 months ago now. We just celebrated our first birthday. We did. um, In July of this year. But we had the idea that Sean and I had both gone through, as you've just heard through Sean's journey, a a tumultuous uh, few years. I had last year a lot of surgeries I had two endometriosis surgeries, a significant complication, a perforation, another operation, diagnosed with lupus, got glandular fever, septic, septic, got my tonsils out. It was just a lot. Um, So we were bonding together at work 
um, and in the tea room and we just decided well we should share our journeys and see if we can help other people because we help each other so we were going to write a book I'm not very good at reading I'm not very good at writing and I don't have much <laughs> of a passion to do so so Sham would have been following me up forever to do any work which I don't really do now anyway um, so we decided we both are pretty artsy dramatic we thought we can chat so why not do a podcast and the podcasting platform has taken off so we decided to hop on board. Yeah, and it kind of comes naturally to us having, um, you know, studied and working as nurses. We can talk about difficult subjects and kind of put a understanding and a spin on things so that um, people not in the medical field can kind of understand and be educated. So we kind of saw it as an opportunity to educate a wider platform of people in a fun and conversational manner so um and we created the podcast from that and we've created an awesome little community um secondary to it as well which we're super thankful for um and it kind of brings us back to looking after ourselves and we're not only doing it for us now but we're also doing it for our community yeah that's awesome congratulations on your one-year anniversary how long did you suffer with symptoms before you were diagnosed? So because my conditions started from um, birth that we just didn't really know, my first sign or symptom was actually at 18 months. So when my mum would feed me um, milk, um, she could hear it in my chest. And it, later we found out that um, I'd actually had a hole in my diaphragm and my organs that were normally below your diaphragm were actually in my chest. So my mum could hear the milk in my um, chest because that was actually where it was because my stomach had gone into my lung cage space. Um, and so that was the first surgery or symptom that I had. And then collectively, as I grew older, more signs came about for Marfan, but it wasn't actually diagnosed until I was about seven years old, six, seven years old by my cardiologist. Um, and so my symptoms were, because I've grown up with them, it's relatively hard to say what was a good day and what was a bad day because you kind of become normalized by the suffering of day-to-day -day life. So there are only days that are worse than others, I would say, because my general baseline has a lot of symptoms in it and obviously those peaks have caused me to get further treatment and surgeries but I don't think there was ever a time pre-symptoms for me because mine's a genetic and so has been there throughout my whole life but Jess you've had a different experience to yeah me. um so for the endometriosis side of things I obviously hit puberty and I didn't get my period until really really late so I was almost finished high school by the time I got my period so I kind of was a little bit shook that I was the only person that wasn't going through what everyone else seemed to be um I was put down to the fact that I was really fit and a dancer at the time but then as I got my period the pain was insane I could not function I would faint all the time and I thought how do these people just get through this <laughs> um and I also then started to have very irregular periods they were very light which actually isn't very common for endo um 
And I just thought, well, this is a bit off. And then as I became sexually active, I was having lots of issues with pain and discomfort and thought something's definitely off, hectic bloating. And it was that that kind of pushed me to get checked. Um, And I had a diagnostic laparoscopic surgery when I was about 18. Um, And that's where I was diagnosed with endo. But at the time was only stage two. I ignored it for like eight, nine years. (laughs) And then I started developing new symptoms at the end of 2020, um, where I was weeing all the time, had some bladder urgency, had some very bad like rectal pain, um, coccyx pain, more painful sex, no periods at all, um, lots of other little things. So when we went back in, there was no surprise that it was on my bladder and on my bowel and had lots of adhesions everywhere to which it had spread to a stage four, which I was quite disheartened about because I'd done all the right things in terms of doing the right things. There's no cure, but I was exercising. I was taking the pill. I was trying to suppress my hormones, but um, the endo just wanted to <laughs> come back hard. So that was that. And then um, so I suffered for a while, I guess. And then with my lupus, I've kind of been in and out of many doctors and specialists and no one really knew what was wrong with me but now putting the pieces together it makes sense I was always in for physios and chiros with back pain joint pain knee pain I got told I had this is so funny it's called Cindy Glass and Johansson disease of my knees which is like a growth issue but I still kind of get that pain and I'm not growing <laughs> not and I'm growing almost anymore. 30. Um, I was getting really bad coccyx pain which is hilarious now because I thought maybe I'd fractured my coccyx is what everyone had thought. I was receiving physio and ultrasound on it every week. This is when I was dancing um, but lol just joint inflammation and lupus. Um, I <laughs> was getting your foot doctor that kind of like yeah, pushed was my, yeah, my foot doctor, he said I must – I was getting really bad foot pain. That's kind of what triggered the diagnosis. So August of 2021, developed hectic swollen feet, couldn't walk. They thought it was plantar fasciitis. I had lots of cortisone injections. It wasn't getting better and I had inflammation in between all of my joints on my feet. So the podiatrist actually said this is a systemic problem. Yeah, this is not a foot problem. Wrong. Something's going on here. So as well as that, I was also had a low grade fever for a few years, but which I thought that was recurrent tonsillitis. However, I had my tonsils out and I was still hot. Yes. Um, so I was like, oh, that maybe wasn't that. Um, and I was always in and out of dermatologists with really bad psoriasis, skin rashes, um, which, yeah, put it all together. And that's there what you, you get. Lupus. So only last, yeah, last November. So I suffered, I guess, my whole life with lots of little symptoms, but no one had really put it together until now yeah all of that can be scary what treatments have you tried did they help did you have side effects I guess treatment for me has been a little bit different in that it's been a long-term process so a lot of my treatments have been medications um, for my heart before I had surgery to kind of reduce the rate of which my heart worked and the pressure around it Um, and so there's obviously side effects with cardiac medication so I would be lightheaded I would have a low heart rate low blood pressure Um, and so there's been 
a lot of medication side effects and the only other real treatment that I can have is a physio massage strengthening and so and you have your Botox oh yeah I do so I suffer from chronic migraines so I have um, 12 weekly um, Botox injected into my scalp like all over my head which has helped a little bit but unfortunately my rates of migraines have looped back around which we think is linked to chronic pain um so it's a really difficult space to navigate in that one pain makes another worse if you try and fix it so I guess for me because my is my conditions are you know a part of my DNA it's really hard to find treatments to fix things because it's not fixable Um, and so a lot of my treatment is around management um, rather than cure um, which I find a lot of people within the chronic community kind of have to battle with in that treatments that even though you're taking them and they can have some effect they do give you side effects whether that be fatigue nausea constipation um, you know lightheaded whatever um, you never are going to fix it. Um, it's only to make it manageable. And so that can be relatively hard um, to navigate. And that's kind of where I sit in that, you know, you do all these treatments, but for how long? And it's not really gaining much. So, um, yeah, I kind of have that like love hate relationship with meds and treatments and stuff. Yeah, I think mine's much the same. So, from an endometriosis point of view, there's no cure for that. And we know the only way to diagnose and remove it is through an invasive operation where they go in laparoscopically and chop it out pretty much. So, I have done that. And like I said, I've done that three times. Um, yeah, I guess they helped. Uh, my biggest thing, obviously, post my perforation stuff, had a lot of complications, but. I did have a period of time where I was like weighing a bit less and had less rectal pain because it obviously been removed from those areas. I do feel it's a temporary measure. Like I am weighing more now and things like that. And I, you know, it's probably growing back and I'm bloating a bit more and I'm having some more increased flares. So yes, while it's a treatment, it does help. It doesn't last forever. And the side effect of it is every time you cut something, it's a bit like if you ever have a cut, you get a scar, right? So you get adhesions and then there's complications with the adhesions and strictures and stuff like that. So the more you go in, the more damage you do. So that has long-term issues with things like fertility. And so there are things you need to take into account from a medication point of view. I'm just on the pill to suppress it. A lot of people do different things, but that has kind of, I've never had too many side effects from the pill. However, I know long-term that they probably do. And it's just something I have to balance and weigh up every day because I could not do that every month. Um, I wouldn't be able to function. So I just kind of accept those side effects so that I can continue to function. So I also do um, an internal pelvic physio. Uh, That's another treatment. Um, which it does help, but it's quite, again, very invasive, makes you feel very vulnerable. It's not a very nice thing to do, but again, long-term, it's meant to help. I'm really bad though, because it requires you to do a lot of exercises and I'm not very good at keeping them (laughs) going, but again, that's just a me problem. And then for the lupus, again, it's very much medically driven. So I'm on a medication called hydroxychloroquine, which I have to take every day and keep a side effect of that is eyesight. So I need to keep a close eye on my vision and getting my eyes checked regularly, six to 12 monthly. 
um, which I'm due for. <laughs> and <laughs> so that's that. And then for a flare, I have steroids and steroids long-term can have a lot of issues on other organs. They can make you immunosuppressed. They can make you put on weight. They're not great to be on. Uh, so that's a side effect that I have to accept. But often if I'm in a flare and I can't get on top of it myself through natural stuff, through everything else, then I have to do that. So mm. again, it's quite medically driven the old lupus world and there isn't there previously hasn't been much going on for the lupus world but there is stuff with the mabs and things coming out but I don't know if that will happen in my lifetime or if I'll meet the criteria but again it's very medically driven yeah it can be very difficult balancing symptoms and medication side effects how do you cope with having chronic illness um coping with having a chronic illness I think I think it's hard because when you've had a chronic illness for so long, it just so easily becomes a part of you that, I don't know, I don't think like I'm coping with a chronic illness. I just think that's my life. Yeah. Like you don't, I don't have a choice. I didn't choose it. I didn't ask for it. I, I, I wish I didn't have it, but I can't, can't do much about it. So my attitude is more just like keep on keeping on. I yeah. just kind of push myself. And my biggest problem is that I often ignore it and pretend I don't have it or it's not there. <laughs> so that's my biggest issue with my chronic illness but I think this space and community has helped me acknowledge that I do and that it's okay Um, and it's helped me meet new people like-minded people who tell me and constantly remind me like Sean does (laughs) to put myself first and relax a little bit and let myself sink into the fact that I'm probably not as able-bodied as the person next door yeah so I I think a lot of my coping mechanism is denial, which isn't healthy. Working on that. Um, You've acknowledged that I've, though. I have that's, acknowledged that's it. A step. Um, and I just, I don't like to be a burden, which sometimes your little chronic brain makes you feel like. Yeah. So sometimes I cope by, which is probably only in the recent few years, I just cope by turning into a little hermit for a very brief period of time. So I'll go like really hard for really long and then I need a quick reset on my own, Um, whether that's just a night on my own where I can literally sleep, rest, medicate, do all the right things for my body, lots of heat packs, um, lots of like rollers and stuff like that for all my joints, then that's kind of how I cope. I just go, go, go and then a quick fill the cup back up and then go again. Yeah. I think that's what I used to do. I think I'm getting a little bit better now after having a stroke, after having like these really big key life events happened because I wasn't paying attention or enough attention to my chronic illnesses that I've kind of learned the lesson that Jess is learning now of like where the line is and how to balance that a bit better. I'm not perfect at it and I still have that feeling of, like Jess said, about being a burden and trying to push through this idea of this ableist view of you can't be unwell or you can't have a chronic illness or a disability and function in society and just trying to put yourself first to a point that you would want other people to. And because Jess and I both work in a caring environment that we care for other people, we would never want our patients to have to feel like we make ourselves feel so it's about learning how to be kinder to yourself and just trying to navigate that space of respecting your body and its needs without jeopardizing or missing out on anything that's important to you and trying to get that balance is really difficult but super super important 
Yeah, all of that is really important. What is something you wish you would have known when you were diagnosed? I think I would, because I was diagnosed at such a young age um, and my parents did an awesome job of like keeping my life as normal as possible. But I think what I think little Sean would have appreciated or benefited from was more acknowledgement of that you are different and that the expectation is different because of my my lack of abilities or my limitations. I think I've grown up in a world where because I've been treated as though I'm normal in inverted commas or able-bodied, I have this internalized um, judgment on myself. And I think baby Sean would have really appreciated someone being like, you don't have to be able to do everything and it's okay that you're a little bit different or that you need more time or more rest because I think that would have changed my foundation of growing up and that I would have avoided some of the burnouts that I've had in my life. Um, so I think just the the space to feel vulnerable and to be unwell with no judgment, I think I would have benefited from as a kid yeah for sure I think mine because mine came on later in life I think mine's more of a scientific wish what I wish I'd known especially with the um, endo I wish you know I was only you know 17 18 but I wish I'd done a bit more research because my first endometriosis surgery was an ablation surgery not an excision surgery and back then you know again this was over 10 years ago there wasn't a whole lot of talk happening about endo and I hadn't done a whole lot of research and I didn't know much about it Um, and now I know that ablation is not the right way to go Um, it's not you know best practice to be excised at the time it's far better and it reduces your chance and severity of it growing back as harshly so I think I wish I had known a bit more so that I could advocate for myself a bit better then and I could have found an excision specialist rather than an ablation lady um but you know that's something in hindsight would have been good yeah um and I think I just wish I was it's sad to leave it for the lupus. I wish I knew earlier. I yeah. think my, you know, my mum was always like, oh, like her blood's a bit out and there's always something going on. And yeah. being compared to my brother who was so able-bodied and never had a problem, I just think I wish I had an answer back then because for 27 years I just kind of thought nothing's wrong with me. Just keep but going. Something's wrong with Some, me. Something's wrong, but everything I go, like it comes back normal or no one has an answer or they're fixing one problem. Like the derm's just fixing my skin yeah. or the podiatrist is just fixing the foot and no one's stopped and looked at it holistically. And I think if I just actually was diagnosed and I knew that diagnosis earlier, I think that probably would have helped me the most. Yeah. Yeah, all of that makes sense. How does having chronic illness affect your daily life? I think the chronic illnesses affect my life as much as I let them um, (laughs) now, but I think it affects you socially, like you become very isolated. Um, But I think over the last couple of years, I can't speak for you, Jess, but for me, like owning my chronic illnesses and acknowledging them, but not making them my whole identity has been a real change for me um, because I've been so scared over my life to become that burden that we all fear that we are. Um, I've kind of ignored my illnesses and try to go on as if nothing was happening. But I think socially um, it affects your life because you feel like you have to perform all the time and you have to either be super disabled to where 
that disability label or not at all. And so I think the, the chronic illnesses that I have have affected me um, mentally as well as physically, obviously, with the surgeries and limitations and such. But I think the mental impact or the psychology, psychological impact is far greater than we necessarily give it credit for. Um, but, you know, it's those small things of like you can't do a random trip somewhere because you have to make sure that you've got enough medication or that your bloods are okay or, you know, that you you have your like sleeping apparatus or pillows or you know, it, it's life can be less carefree when you have chronic illnesses. And I think that's how it affects, especially in this world where everything is on social media and looks perfect. You can feel like you're limited in your experience because you can't be, you know, so spontaneous. Everything has to be so much more planned and like specific I think yeah I agree like I think how it affects me in my day-to-day life again I ignore it that's great but then if I do say two or three 12-hour shifts in a row I get really upset because I can watch other colleagues do three 12-hour shifts and just be tired but after that for me I am icing my feet every night I can't really walk I've got a really sore back I've got mouth ulcers I've got a low-grade temperature swollen lymph nodes I'm like why does this happened to me so I think it affects my everyday day life when I just try and do what other people can seem to do so easily and I can't that's when I see it the most um and also like Sean said just the spontaneity of life like you know a couple of weeks ago I went down south and I went to a restaurant with my partner ran into a girlfriend and her partner there and they had had a spontaneous comeback for a wine and dinner and drinks and I got there realized we'd been drinking and then I was like hang on I need to stop because I don't have my medications here yeah I need them so I can't do the spontaneous sleepover and I do need to factor those things into my life yeah um so that's definitely I think something that it affects and I think it just also I don't know if it's an effect, but it does just make you, I think, a bit more compassionate, a bit more empathetic. And I think that's a positive thing in working, how it affects our life. I think we can relate to a lot of people and being nurses, that's an important quality. So I think it it helps in that sense. Um, But yeah, I think it, it affects us in, I guess, positive and negative ways. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. How are you doing now with symptoms? I mean, my symptoms are okay at the moment. Like I'm just recovering from COVID, unfortunately. So um, my body's taken a bit of a hit in the last couple of weeks, but the maintenance and the day-to-day is relatively okay. Um, Obviously, lifelong management on, on terms of medication and taking blood thinners for my mechanical valve, I have to be very careful. Um, So, you know, regular blood tests, et cetera. But my main symptom that's bothering me is my migraines because they seem to be so relentless at the moment um, and nothing that I'm doing seems to help or evade them, which is frustrating. Um, but I'm actually doing okay I'm because I'm putting my health and my need to rest a little bit higher in my priority. I'm actually benefiting a lot. Um, compared to myself maybe three four five years ago so um, it's a a constant journey um, but I think I'm actually doing pretty well um, in my grand scheme yeah I think 
Last year was probably my worst year for symptoms, but um, at the moment I'm on a three-month course of steroids to try and keep the lupus flares from happening so frequently and so severely. So next week I'm due to go back to the rheumatologist. I would have completed three months of a low-grade um, steroid. So I guess my symptoms have been a bit better. And I still flare, but it's not lasting for as long, but it's just a hard thing to balance because I don't want to be on steroids forever. Yeah. Um, so I guess from a lupus point of view, I'm doing pretty good. Um, from an endo point of view, I'm due another internal ultrasound to see, not that you can see much, but they're going to try and have a look, um, in three weeks. And I just kind of do all of the things I can normally do to keep it at bay. Because like I said, unless I'm going in for another surgery, which I don't want to do off the back of having, um, to last year mm. it's not really safe to go in again so and no one really wants to touch me as I was <laughs> told in my last appointment everyone's too scared to come near me yeah so we loved getting told that yeah so I think that I'm just just managing okay but I think I'm managing with my symptoms better than I was a year ago because now I have an answer so yeah if I feel like I'm having an off day I'm not like why the fuck have I woke up with four mouth ulcers do I have like strep throat now I'm like oh it's the start Lupus. of the flare. So <laughs> if anything, I'm a bit more comfortable with my symptoms because they make sense now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you both have been able to find some relief with your symptoms and management. What piece of advice would you like to give listeners? I think the piece of advice that I would want to give um, to anyone listening is to be kind to themselves and to listen to their bodies. Um, I think we try really hard to ignore our body's signs and symptoms and how it's talking to us because we feel like we can't let that barrier down because you'll be flooded with symptoms. But I think listening to your body early prevents those floods of symptoms later on down the track. So I think it's just to be confident in taking up the space that you take up and to really embrace how your body is feeling and to act upon that rather than trying to push through. Cause that's what I'm, I'm tr trying to tell myself and trying to live by. And it's not easy, um, but it's definitely something that I feel has benefited me when I do listen to my body better. Yeah, I think mine would be the same. Be kind to yourself, but on that also be kind to each other. I think if you, have somebody that you worry about and care about, tell them that you worry and that you care. And I think also it's not hard to be kind. And if anything, this podcast and being friends with each other has made us realize that everybody you come through that comes through your life has, has a background and has, has a past and has some trauma and has experienced things that we probably haven't. So I think my piece of advice is just, just be kind because everyone is often fighting a personal battle that you don't know about. And mm -hmm. for someone like Sean and I, who do look able-bodied and do have invisible illnesses, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know unless you knew us what we go through. And I just think being kind, makes life so much easier for one yourself when you are kind, but two people on the receiving end because yeah. people go through enough, I think. Yeah, that's great advice. How can someone show support? I think that ties in quite nicely to like just being kind to each other, but how you can show support. I think the biggest thing for us, the biggest thing that I've realized while starting this podcast, I've had so many friends and people I care about genuinely check in on me. It's not like 
or how's your week? It's how are you, like, how are you going? How are you going with your symptoms? How are you going with life? Just functioning. Like they actually just, just ask someone how they genuinely are. I think that makes a huge difference. Also things I've learned sometimes more so in the last year or so, which I'm proud of, but sometimes I have to cancel plans last minute and not having the judgment from friends or family because you can't physically or mentally attend something. Yeah. Um, just removing that judgment and, and being okay with it and checking back in with that person. I think that's an amazing level of support and something that when you are feeling poorly physically or mentally, it's something that really does fill your cup and your warms you up a little bit on those difficult days. So I think being kind, showing support by not judging, by asking how they genuinely are. I think they're like two really easy things that people can do that really can make such a difference and make someone feel really valid. Yeah. I think branching off of that and to make someone feel valid and um, welcomed is that if you are hosting an event or a birthday or a dinner and you have someone coming that does have a chronic illness or, you know, a dietary requirement because of their illness, such as, you know, for Jess, it's gluten-free. For me, I can't have alcohol. And so it's making those little changes within the environment so that that person doesn't feel like they're a burden, so that there's there's going to be food options for them or drink options for them. And so they actually feel involved and connected with everybody there. So I have a great group of friends who always do mocktails instead of cocktails for me. Um, And so it makes me feel as though I'm wanted and welcomed in that space and I'm not being like the odd one out. And so I think just welcoming people into a space and a social space that can be quite isolating if if they're not taken into consideration, I think is really big. And even if you know that a person has a chronic illness and maybe isn't doing very well or is, you know, high in their pain or in a flare, to still invite them to things because there is already so much isolation around being unwell and being disabled and being chronically ill that just not being invited to something because you just assume that they're not going to be able to come, it, it, continually gives that person a message of that they're not wanted and they're not valid and so just inviting people even if you know that they're probably not going to be able to come is still super super important yeah those are great ways to show support how can listeners connect with you um, so like yourself, we are a podcast, so we are on all streaming platforms. So Spotify, Apple podcasts, Amazon music, wherever you get your music or podcasts, that's where we will be. Um, and we also have an Instagram. We do. It's the chronic sisters podcast, all one word. Yeah. So we also have a website. Again, if you just Google the chronic sisters podcast, we will pop up. Um, and there we have our Um, links to our episodes and we also have a little bios about us and we also have our email address on there for anyone to email us any topics or questions or if they wanted to be on the podcast themselves or they have a story um, that they can contact us and we love getting messages from our community um, and so we absolutely welcome connection from people absolutely we love it and it's a nice way for us to keep what we yes we do a weekly podcast but it's nice for us to keep the connection with people all the time yeah through through the instagram awesome i will provide all of that information in the show notes 
Thank you so much for taking time to be a guest on the Chronic Illness Support Podcast to talk about chronic illness to help provide education and awareness. I enjoyed having you, Sean and Jess. Thanks so much for having us, Samantha. It has been lovely to chat. Um, We love talking about chronic illness. We love talking about ourselves um, and we love educating other people. So we feel very lucky to have been on your podcast and hopefully educate others out there on a few of our little spicy bits. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. We really appreciate your time. If you found listening to the Chronic Illness Support Podcast helpful in any way, please subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you so much for listening.